We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com B-E. I understood my role as a principal to be very protective of the work of the teachers, right? I knew that that had to be protected at all costs. So I understood that many times I had to hold district initiatives at bay or interruptions or what the PTA wanted. I always had to have the lens of how is this going to impact the work that truly matters on behalf of students. Dr. Chris Jones here, and welcome to Seeing to Lead, a show designed to help leaders increase their ability to effectively support, engage, and empower their staff through intentional practices so that they create an environment where everyone reaches their greatest level of success. On Seeing to Lead, communication rules the day as we hear voices from both teachers and leaders in an effort to examine perspectives, highlight misunderstandings, and provide steps to ultimately bridge the gap between what teachers need and provide through thoughtful dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. Santos Gonzalez has spent the last 25 years working as a teacher and administrator at several schools in South San Diego. For Santos, education was a pathway out of poverty. She grew up understanding that education held the promise of opportunity and choices. She has spent her entire career making sure that her work delivers on that promise for every child she serves. She is now serving as a leadership coach with the LAEP organization, providing coaching and professional learning opportunities to district, site, and teacher leaders at no cost to participants. Her work focuses on equity and meeting the needs of the whole child. I just had the opportunity to talk to Santos for a little while um, pre-recording, and I'm already giddy and smiling about the conversation we're going to have today. So thank you very much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for our conversation. I'm going to love it. I've been listening to your podcast, and so I know I have a lot to live up to in terms of you know what the guests bring <laughs> no. to the table. So I'm excited. I'm excited. Uh, you're gonna please. You're gonna you're gonna fit right in and do awesome stuff today. I can't wait. So I'll tell you what, just from our pre-chat, let's start right off the bat with, okay. um, if you if you talk to us a little bit about, talk to the listeners a little bit about what you love or are passionate about in education when it comes to leadership. So for me, like my number one thing is meeting the needs of the whole child. So, you know, people throw around the word equity a lot, you know, uh, especially in recent years. And I believe that meeting the needs of the whole child is the only way to ensure equity in education. And kind of to explain a little bit what I mean by that, obviously, when we look at uh, schools and disproportionality, we know that there are certain groups of students who almost with predictability 
have disproportionately low outcomes compared to other groups, right? And so when we look at, you know, what is going to make the difference for students and really eradicate the achievement gap, and I put that in quotes because it's the opportunity gap, we really have to start thinking differently, right? We have to really understand that improving instructional uh, techniques or instructional programs or instruction period is not going to make the difference. We've already tried that. (laughs) We've tried that over and over and over again. And still what we see is this persistent gap in educational outcomes. And so what I know, um, I'm a student of history, so I'm going to go a little bit kind of back in time a little bit. I came into education right before No Child Left Behind uh, was adopted. And so that was an extremely interesting time, right? Uh, It was a time where we were very ambitious in education and we really wanted to, you know, close the achievement gap or the opportunity gap. And uh, back then I was like really fired up. I thought, oh, this sounds great. What a great goal for this program that's being adopted. And so what we did was we really focused on looking at student data and improving instructional practices, right? But we saw that that wasn't enough. We were seeing some some growth, right? And even years later, we see that that, that gap still exists. So what we forgot to do, what we really didn't know enough about at that point is, I guess, the impact of trauma and other types of barriers on students' ability to access the learning, right? Um, So somewhere between like when NCLB started and, you know, uh, a little bit later, um, the ACES study came out, right? Where they were looking at adverse childhood experiences, right? That was a groundbreaking study. And I think it took a while for that to filter into education circles. Um, But now everybody knows about that. And and trauma-informed practices is at the forefront right now of what we're doing in education. But when that started to come on my radar, radar, it helped me to understand a lot of things about what was impacting the students I was teaching and then leading, right? And serving in, in a capacity as a leader. So what I understood was, you know, oftentimes we have students who are living in poverty um, and then who are also experiencing other types of traumatic events in their home, right? And so they're coming to school and for us, we were expecting them to learn, right? We were expecting them to be ready to learn. And so we were working hard on improving instructional practices and techniques, but many students were completely dysregulated and weren't able to access that high quality instruction. So when they're not able to access that instruction, they're obviously not learning, right? So the gap is going to persist. So what I realized was there was a huge need to address not only the instructional stuff that the kids needed, but also the social emotional stuff. And a lot of times when people, when children are experiencing these uh, traumatic events or are having something emotional going on in their lives, it manifests in behavior, right? So we adopted um, in our district and at my school, I adopted something called the MTSS, right? Multi-tiered systems of support. And so that really looks at how you can support students instructionally, uh, behaviorally. And then I added the SEL part, you know, social emotionally. Um, and those two kind of commingle, right? So anyway, all that to say, I think 
you know, we've had, at least since I've started in education, there's been this journey that everybody has been on to kind of wrap their brains around what are causing these systemic kind of gaps, right? And disproportionate outcomes for students. And so when I talk about meeting the needs of the whole child, that's what I'm talking about, you know, really making sure uh, at least in practice at my schools, it's been a full-time school counselor. It's been studying the work of Dr. Bruce Perry, who is an expert in, um, you know, how trauma impacts the developing brain. It's been bringing in like culturally responsive books and programs and really, you know, getting to know our students, building those strong relationships. And then there's that part of really giving teachers the tools to understand the whole process of regulation, like regulation of self-regulation, right? Um, And teaching the kids how to do that and teaching teachers how to recognize that and how to help a child kind of practice those skills and implement them so that they're able to access the education. I was very lucky that, especially in the last school where I served, it was the culmination of everything I had learned. It, 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 it's amazing. You know, I don't think we talk enough about the development of principals, you know, and their journey as an educator, how they've developed and how they continue to get better as they get older or more seasoned. <laughs> you know? But uh, the last school where I served, was the culmination of every lesson I had learned in what my 20 something years of, of being an educator. And it, it was, it was the right school at the right time for me. And everything came together in this wonderful way. And I feel bad for, you know, my first couple schools, cause I made a lot of mistakes, but you know, the, the last school I was in really um, really, I think benefited from all the mistakes that I made in the past. And uh, the willingness of the staff to take the journey with me and was wonderful. And I think it happened because I was able to lay out a vision for them that they understood. You know, I, I feel like I've been talking a long time. No, that's fine. <laughs> you, you, you said I was, when you stopped, I was going to say, so that concludes our podcast on trauma-informed <laughs> instruction in the history of ACE. No, that's, that's awesome. You said so much. I don't even know, know where to begin. Sorry. So no, that's, <laughs> did you just apologize for dropping that much information on everybody? Um, and you talk about student of history. I, I, I love history as well. You know, history informs where we're at right now. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm going to start here because you brought up so much. Okay. But I okay. want to start here. You talk and, and you were very specific about this. You talk about the achievement and the opportunity gap. Yes. As yes. if they're two different things. So talk to me about that. Oh man, this one's complicated. This one's let's, let me see if I can wrap my head around a, why I choose to use that word rather than achievement gap and what it means. Right. So I believe that language has a lot of power in the way that we um, perceive situations. Right. Uh, And in fact, I was just reading something like that this morning, but anyway, so what I notice is in education, there are a lot of words that we use that frame things in a very, in a way that perpetuates these inequalities, right? So when it comes to things like achievement gap versus opportunity gap, I think when we say, uh, when we're saying, oh, uh, black and brown children are scoring lower, there's this achievement gap between 
that population and other populations, right? When in reality, if we frame it as opportunity gap, then we see it as something that is done by through no fault of their own, right? They're not quote unquote failing or underperforming because they're not working hard enough. They're not failing or underperforming because their teachers aren't good teachers or their leaders aren't good leaders um, or their parents aren't involved. They're failing or underperforming because of systemic issues that are going in, that are in place, right? That are in play and they have less opportunities and less access to, you know, resources, perhaps early childhood experiences, you know, with education, um, a whole host of things, right? That contribute to them uh, scoring lower on these tests, right? So when we reframe it with opportunity gap, then we're really Framing, framing it in, in the, the correct way, I guess I should say, in a way that really centers the problem with equity and disproportionality and system, systemic racism and all of that. You know, it's a that's, big concept. <laughs> but that's so well said the way you did that, because reframing is so important in everything we do every day. If we're ever going to get by problems or through hardship, we have to reframe things. If we really yes. want to solve problems, and not just put band-aids on things, but actually find the issue. It's important that we reframe. And I, I love the way you said that because when you reframe it as an opportunity gap, it almost, and this is going to sound negative at first, but it's not, it almost takes the onus, not necessarily responsibility, off of the people involved and lets them, gives them the space to solve the problem instead of privately or personally owning the problem. Yes. Um, and being labeled with that. So that's, I, I love that you, that you named that that way. The second piece off of that whole first piece, <laughs> <laughs> you were talking about trauma and the effect of trauma. And I, I, you know, we look at ACEs and people know about ACEs and, you know, it's, it's nice to talk about and some people dig in on it, but it's difficult for them to, to really own it and to really step back and say that this is an issue. Oh, yeah. And that's just with students. It's never been clearer. You know, if it, if we could run some type of similar test with teachers oh, during yeah. the pandemic, where they're at. So if you could talk to me a little bit about your approach, because you have this step back perspective, reframe approach about trauma, about the social emotional pieces, that's got to extend to teachers as well. So how do leaders look at teachers who are traumatized? I mean, let's, let's be honest about it, are traumatized by this pandemic. How do they get those teachers to a place where they can continue to serve students and continue to make a difference in those classrooms? Well, I'm going to say this. Attending to the trauma that my teachers had was something that existed for me before the pandemic because part of helping kids regulate, self-regulate, includes a lot of co-regulation. So that means teachers have to really understand what's triggering them, and understand how to grapple with things that they're bringing to school every day, right? And the ACES study, just because it explored childhood, uh, adverse childhood um, experiences, uh, doesn't mean that it was just about children, right? It Obviously, it happened to adults when there were children. So I knew that on my campus, many of my teachers had adverse childhood experiences in their background, right? And invariably, that manifests as adults. We all know that, right? In various ways. So that was something we talked about a lot. And I was so, I don't know if I was surprised, but 
delighted's not the right word, but I was honored that so many of my teachers would come to me and talk to me. Like if we would have a PD where we were talking about that and we had that book study with uh, Dr. Bruce Perry's book, um, The Boy That Was Raised as a Dog, they would come talk to me about things that happened to them. And so that helped us get to know each other. And it also helped me understand how to support them. So fast forward to the pandemic, that was something that was so important. And I think that perhaps not a lot of people really understood and did well during the pandemic, at least in the beginning. I don't know how they're doing now, but there was this sense of like, we have to be the brave ones in education and we have to like be there for the kids, which yes, we have to be there for the kids. I 100% believe that. But there was not enough initial kind of like, let me fortify my team. Let me put my arms around them, hug them, you know, not physically, but, and, and support them and check in with them and make them feel safe and heard and listen to what they need in order to be able to attend to the kids. And then let's deploy them to meet the needs of students. Right. So I think people are starting to do that now. Um, I know that wasn't the case at the beginning, but part of, and I've been thinking about this a lot. So part of what we need to do in education, I think, is break down this barrier between principals, admin, and teachers and start to see that we're part of the same team. We've always been part of the same team. I don't understand the division. I know your podcast is very much about, you know, uh, bridging that divide. And so I think once we see that, we'll understand how to meet their needs better in terms of their social emotional needs right now and dealing with trauma, because we will understand that they are on our, we are the same. We're the same. They're, they're right shoulder to shoulder with us, you know? And in many ways, when I was a principal, I saw them as like my children. I didn't treat them like my children, but I felt that sense of need to protect them and guide them and help them um, like a mom would, you know, like a parent would. So in terms of what we can do to support them. I think don't judge where they are in terms of how they're expressing their stress because everybody comes to work with a a whole different set of circumstances, right? Be prepared to provide them with as much support and grace as possible because that's, they, they just need that without judgment. They just need that without judgment. And also I think the other thing is don't be afraid to be vulnerable yourself right? Be vulnerable yourself. They need to know that you are feeling what they're feeling because otherwise, if you're trying to push them a little bit to come on guys, let's keep doing what we're doing for kids, but that, and they don't get a sense that you're suffering too, then they're not going to take that as encouragement. They're going to take that as somebody that doesn't understand me, somebody that doesn't have my best interests at heart, somebody that doesn't care about how I'm feeling right? So when you let down your guard and you also let them know how you're feeling and suffering and suffering is a harsh word, but it's it's true, right? We're suffering in some ways. If you let them in a little bit to that, I think it's going to go a long way in helping them feel understood. That's what I think. No, you definitely know that. Don't say you don't know. There's, there's a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm here. So I'm hearing, you know, the, because I wonder how you, get staff to come along. You said you were very happy staff came along. 
Um, they worked with you and everything. And I was going to ask you how that worked, but then you nailed those three things, or, or at least in my opinion, just, just to make sure I'm recapping them right. Mm-hmm. You have to make sure you protect. It's almost like a three-step process. You have to make sure you protect before you send out, uh, before you move forward. You have to make sure that you don't judge. And the best way you can do that is by offering grace to your teachers as they move through, not just the pandemic, but day-to-day. Because look, if they're taking risks, inherently there's failure within risks. So if you're not judging them, they're going to want to take more risks. Mm -hmm. And you don't judge them by offering grace and saying, okay, that's, that's fine. That, that didn't work, but let's, let's work on this. Mm -hmm. And by being vulnerable, Mm -hmm. you're, you're a human being. You know, I hear stories about my mother or, or from my mother about when she was going to school. And I remember a little bit when I was going to school, how it used to be almost like you think teachers would sleep in a closet at night in their suit and tie or their dress or whatever they wear. Okay. Bell rings in the morning. They step out of the closet and they're ready to go. There was no personal life. There was, Mm -hmm. there was just that this is how things are. Or if you were going down the hall, you get a glimpse in the faculty room, you know, God forbid you ever got to look in the faculty (laughs) room. And now it's, now it's completely different. And, and working with teachers, teachers need to know that their leader is a human. Yeah. And because the leader's human, we make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And so then you get that whole loop almost of non-judgmental grace. Mm-hmm. So that's, I, I'm so glad. I, and I'm, I hope I'm hitting that right, that those three things that you were talking about. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So I think this is a good spot because another, another thing in your bio, you talk about coaching. Yes, And I say something very specific in the book I have coming out about coaching. Uh So I want to take a quick break to listen to our sponsors and then come back and hear your take on that. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Better Leaders, Better Schools Mastermind. The mastermind is built on the ABCs of powerful professional development, authenticity, belonging, and challenge. With all three components, leaders experience transformation in their personal and professional lives. Personally, I've been a member of the Mastermind for years, and it's transformed my leadership by teaching me how to challenge the status quo and honor my personal vision for what leadership should be. Join me and other leaders from around the world in the Mastermind. You can apply today at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash mastermind. I use Anchor to distribute the Seeing to Lead podcast because I find it to be the best tool to suit my busy schedule. Anchor has everything I need all in one place, offers hands-free distribution to everywhere podcasts are heard, and is free to use. I can use anywhere from some to all of its features based on what I need at the time. On top of all that, you can be mobile, recording, editing, and distributing all right from your phone. You can also easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So go download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Okay, and we're back with Santos. And, you know, right before we left, I said I wanted to hit on something that I I just, um, I wrote about in my book that's going to be coming out soon. And that's the idea of being a coach to your teachers. And when we're talking about supporting teachers, there's a really good model where there's a coach because a coach notices the deficits for each individual player and then works to backfill those deficits based on what the player needs and then pushes the player forward. I specifically say be a coach, not a mentor, because a mentor 
has all those relationship pieces where a, a shoulder to cry on, somebody to support them, somebody to listen, somebody to share failures, losses, sadness, joy, wins, victories. A coach, on the other hand, needs a specific result or works to get a specific result where a mentor doesn't necessarily do that. And as leaders, we want to support our teachers, engage them, empower them. But at the end of the day, right, they need to have certain skills. They need to impact students in a certain way. So we need that certain result. I know you coach. I know that's one of the things you're passionate about. So talk to me a little bit about the importance of coaching and how you go about that. So coaching has always been extremely important to me. I have been very lucky that I've my whole career, I've had not only good mentors, but also actual coaching that has been provided to me as a teacher, as an administrator. And as an administrator, I have always seen how instrumental coaching is to any type of school improvement effort. If you want to meet a goal, coaching has to be a part of that, in my opinion, at a school. And so I've always brought in, so my, you're going to be, I don't know if you'll be surprised, but I have (laughs) kind of a slight, a a slightly controversial take. That's one of the reasons I like talking to you. (laughs) (laughs) So I think, you know, as an administrator, what I learned and the way I positioned my structures and built my structures and systems in my school was I understand, I understood my role as a principal to be very protective of the work of the teachers, right? I knew that that had to be protected at all costs. So I understood that many times I had to hold district initiatives at bay or interruptions or what the PTA wanted. I always had to have the lens of how is this going to impact the work that truly matters on behalf of students, right? And so I thought that I, for me, that was always my number one objective, other than, of course, keeping everybody safe and those things, right? So I always brought in a coach. I always hired a contract coach to come in and coach my teachers. And the reason is this. I tried being the center of that work early in my career. And We all know the squawk of the walkie-talkie, right? You know, and constant interruptions. Um, So I was pulled out of collab. I was pulled out of, you know, um, observations with teachers, modeling of things, planning sessions. I was always pulled away. And I knew that was breaking down the trust of my teachers and maybe not consciously sending them the message that their work was not as important as I thought it really was, right? So I chose to bring in a coach that would, uh, nobody, nobody would interrupt their work. It was always on cue, right? So I believe that was the wisest decision I ever made because after I got over the ego part of it of, I want to do the coaching, I want to do this, I realized it doesn't matter who's doing the coaching as long as it's getting done with and it's it's not getting interrupted and the teachers are 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 learning from this and growing right so i learned i i i put together kind of a system where that work existed and i had my role in it namely protecting the work but also i had like a a, a data cycles and and coaching cycles system that built 
its own momentum and just kept the work going, right? And I had check-in points where I could come in and see how the work was doing and make adjustments if it needed to be made. But that has always been like something that's, that's worked for me. And what I love about it is it really helped teachers understand how powerful coaching can be, right? And at my last school, I actually took one of my teachers and gave her a resource teacher role, brought this same coach to coach her on how to be a coach, and it just multiplied the impact, right? Um, So I really firmly believe in coaching very, very much. And as a principal, I always wished that I could do more of it, and I did do it. But the bulk of that work was done by somebody that had no other role on the campus at all and could never be interrupted. She was just the coach. And I I know that that's why my teachers made so much growth. I know that's why my students made as much growth growth as they did. And I I just know uh, that it was the most effective thing I've ever done on behalf of my teachers is giving them that quality time with a true professional um, whose sole job was to coach them. And the other part of that I found was that because I was their principal when I was starting to coach them, sometimes I got in the way for some of my teachers. You know, they don't know how to to disconnect that. And and, and I just, uh, and I understand that. I was like that when I was a teacher, I'll admit it. You know, it made me nervous when my boss was in the room. (laughs) You know what I mean? And him or her asking me questions that I didn't automatically know the, the answer to made me nervous, you know? So yeah, so I found that I didn't have to deal with that if I had that coach that was not, I guess, a peer because she was this amazing teacher as well. But yeah, that that really made the coaching really effective because it, it removed any of those barriers for teachers and they really were, they just bought into it um, and they would request her uh, to come in their classroom more than she was scheduled to be there. So that was very powerful. In terms of mentorship, Yes, I agree that there is a difference there. And I think the coaching piece is important because it does have those goals. But also I think it's important is in that it empowers teachers. And I don't think they're used to that. Unfortunately, you know, historically, teachers have been infantilized in their roles. And I hate that because I I have always told my teachers, Okay, first of all, you're you are all highly educated people. Most of you have your masters, some of you have your doctorates. You've been in the trenches doing this work. You're always reading, learning, going to workshops. You take your job seriously. So I'm going to treat you like the educated professional that you are, right? You know, that's a great point. Uh, and I just want to circle back before we lose, lose too many listeners, um, because <laughs> you've, got, you've got a lot of things tied in there. But what I'm, what I'm hearing you saying is it was authentic. The coaching that you got for your teachers was authentic and not through any fault of your own or anything like that, but just because of time. I mean, leaders are pulled in so many different directions. One of the things that really hits me with that is how you were vulnerable. So here you are following your three steps uh, that (laughs) that we mentioned earlier. You were incredibly vulnerable to sit there in a room, or I'd love to know who you talked with to make this decision and say, you know what? I can't do this. I, I want to do it and I have the skill to do it, but I can't do it. I have to walk away so that it can be done better. That's, man, I can't imagine sitting there having that conversation with someone or myself. So you bring up yeah. a really good point. 
I think, uh, you know, one of the major things that I learned as a leader was you can't have an ego about any of it because it's never about you. It's never about you. So if the evidence is pointing to you not being the person having to do this, you got to move out of the way. You got to move it and, and, you know, bring in a person that's going to fulfill your vision, right? Because it's still your vision, but you have to play a different role and it's not center stage. It's not in the hubbub of all the work, but it's protecting the work, you know, and that's ultimately the decision I came to and, and, and it worked. I mean, it really worked. My, my achievement always increased always across the board for all demographics, always. And see the idea of empowering, like you had said, and no ego, just what you said, that is, that's the key to empowering teachers that mm-hmm. until a leader does it and realizes the gain or the benefit from it, it's the hardest thing to do. The key to empowering is to step away. Yes. You're not, you're not just turning everything over or dictating or anything. I mean, obviously there's some support structures put in place, but once you empower somebody or, or have that opportunity, right. That you, that you put into motion and you step away and watch them fly. Mm-hmm. There's nothing better. Cause you, you just say, okay, so that might not be the way I did it, but I still reached the, the vision of what I, what I was trying to accomplish. Right. Exactly. It's, it's a lot of times it's finding, uh, where people fit the best and they can contribute in the way that they do. But the vision is still yours and the, the, the movement is still happening. You just have to get flexible about how you see your, yourself in the work. You know, that's what being a principal is. <laughs> <laughs> Perfectly said. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we're getting near the end of the podcast mm-hmm. and I always ask two questions at the end of the podcast. So I'll, I'll hit you with the first one and then, and then we'll go from there and I'll, I'll, I'll hit you with the second one. The first one is who, not what would you be if you were not a leader or a school leader specifically? Who would I be? Not what? Who, not yeah. what? Who, not what? If I was not a leader or an educator. Correct. Well, you could still be an educator, but school leader. Mm, I would be a writer. Really? I would. Yes, I would be a writer. Why is that? Um, thought I was going to let you off the hook easy. Though. I know. <laughs> well, aside from reading, mm-hmm. it's one of the other things that I do most frequently. I love to write. And I understand the power that words have. So uh, I admire people that can, A, have the confidence and B, the, the tenacity to birth a book because it what it does is asserts to the world that I have something valuable to contribute and I love that having that kind kind of confidence um and putting it into the world and it's like a gift to the world right (laughs) it's like a gift to the world and 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 a, a collection of your wisdom and that's amazing right to be able to do that so uh, yeah I would want to be a writer Oh, awesome. so I envy you that you're in the process what? of writing a book. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. I, I love that. Congrats. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. So the last question is for really all the listeners. Uh, we always talk about, you know, supporting, engaging, and empowering teachers. What is the most important piece of advice you would give to leaders as they work to better support, engage, and empower their teachers? 
Oh, man. So we kind of talked about it a little bit. Yeah. I, I do have some non-traditional views of the, the, the principal's role, um, just through my own experience. But I would say the, the number, two things. One is get coaching for your teachers. You will not regret it. It'll be the best investment you ever make is to, to respect your teachers and their work by providing them with professional coaching. I think that's key and so important. You'll be amazed at the results. Really, really. And your teachers will, will feel fed, you know, and seen and, and, and valued. Uh, the second thing is what I talked about earlier. Don't think that because you're the principal, you have to be at absolutely the center of all that work, that you are the person moving that work. The, the trick of being a great principal, in my opinion, is to build so much capacity in your teachers that you can remove yourself completely from the process and it still works great because you've put the right supports, you've put the right systems, and you've provided them with the skills to keep that work going, right? Part of that, and I don't think we talked about this, is making sure you have that com compelling vision, right? So that they understand it and so they can align themselves with all that that entails because the work will just continue. That momentum will continue and you'll see the kids and the teachers grow so much from that. I am so glad you said that last piece <laughs> because, well, one, the first part of it is, first off, it's excellent. The whole thing's excellent. We, I, I mean, it just, I was sitting here thinking, yes, yes, as I was listening <laughs> to you talk about it. The whole idea of being able to pull yourself out of that system and, and people talk about systems thinking and things like that, but I like to use just a real plain English down and dirty phrase for it. Leaders should be working themselves out of their job. Yep. So that we can, that you can leave and it doesn't even matter. Yes. If a principal leaves a school and the next year their scores completely plummet, that is a principal that did not build capacity at that school. Absolutely. Okay, Absolutely. go ahead. Sorry. No, no apology necessary because, I mean, think about it when, I've look, we, we've all sat in conferences, we've all sat in meetings and to sit there and listen to a leader say, well, I left that school and they're not doing any good now. I hate what? that. What? No. You know, that should be the opposite. That's on Ooh. you. Yeah, yes. That's on you. Yes. Yes. So, and then the second piece is the compelling vision. People talk about vision and things like that, but the idea of a compelling vision, it's so important if we want to engage our teachers in the work that needs to be done is to let them or or have their why, their reason for why they got involved in education, let them see how that's connected to the larger vision and how they fit at a personal level into the larger vision of the school. So I'm so glad you said a compelling vision. <laughs> good, good. Yeah, it's important. It's important. You got to give them something to believe in, something to work toward. Right. Hope. Yeah. I hope that he could, could throw all those words out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, you know, you've, you've said a lot of great things about, the, you know, the whole child and how we approach teachers that way and equity and coaching. I love the distinction you made uh, between the achievement gap and the opportunity gap. There's so much more to dig into there. I can't imagine that people aren't going to want to get in touch with you after this, or they might have questions because clearly you're obviously incredibly well-read. Um, so you've always got some stuff, but you know, and just, just the nuggets that you were dropping along the way, like the, the whole get a coach thing. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to make contact with you? 
So there are a couple ways. So they can find me on LinkedIn, Santos Gonzalez Verardo. Um, I think that's probably a very easy way to, to kind of connect with me there um, and get in touch with me. Um, I'm also on Facebook at Santos Gonzalez Verardo. And also, um, you know, I, I'm doing work with LAEP, as you mentioned at the top of the show. And, you know, if you're a principal district or teacher leader in, you know, uh, Southern California, San Diego County, Riverside County, Imperial, all of that, you and you're interested in perhaps getting free coaching, um, leadership coaching through our program, um, you can definitely, you know, visit our website, um, which is laep.org forward slash 21 CSLA. And you can see all that we have to offer as well as get in contact with us. Or if you want to email me directly, you can sgonzalez at laep.org. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> You've got all <laughs> kinds of ways to get in touch. I know. Sorry. No. <laughs> that was stop a lot. apologizing. It's I all know. good. It's a bad habit. It's a no. bad habit. Right. And I'll, I'll, I'll put all that stuff in the show notes too. So Thank people you. will be able to catch it in the show notes. But awesome. look, really, it was great talking to you. I really enjoyed it. I, I learned a bunch. I'm sure everybody else is going to. So really, thank you from the bottom of my heart for, for being a guest on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it. And I'm, I'm going to continue enjoying uh, your show. And I wanted to tell you this. Uh, I listened, I was listening to you uh, a few days ago and I was like, oh my gosh, his voice is perfect for a podcast. <laughs> You've got that radio voice. <laughs> I'll just, you know what? I was told a long time ago, I'm, I'm terrible at taking compliments, but I was told a long time ago, just say thank you and walk away. So I'm just exactly. going to say thank you. Just say thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate you. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Thanks for listening to the Scene to Lead podcast. If you'd like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at Dr. C.S. Jones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway. Learn more at drcsjones.blog. Continue to improve and go have a successful week. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master's schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com B-E.